But the truth is, and you know, this is a lesson, uh, if we would have doubled and tripled down, if, if people would have been willing to take that risk, we would have made a huge killing coming out of the recession. Welcome to the Fueling Deals Podcast, the podcast that teaches how to accelerate your business growth through all types of deals. It's time to fuel up, so buckle in with your host, Corey Kupfer. There are only two ways to grow your business, organically through sales and marketing and providing great products and services, and inorganically through deals. Too many companies focus only on the first way, organic growth. Welcome to the podcast, which will help accelerate your business growth inorganically. My guests are a huge variety of deal makers and experts on all types of deals who have personal experience that can help you grow, get clear, learn best practices, and avoid mistakes. We've discussed everything from large, complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. Today is a solo cast, and I'm going to do something a little different today. I, uh, on the solo cast, I often talk about deal principles, uh, or I may talk about, you know, I've done roundups of other people's deals, you know, in terms of uh, uh, big deals in, the, in, in various industries. Uh, I want to talk a little more personally today uh, about, because I'm not only a lawyer who does deals for other people, but I've done many of my own deals as a deal maker. And frankly, some of them have done very well and some of them have not done so well. And there's lessons that have come from them. So I want to share some of those personal lessons and personal journey, uh, uh, you know, from my entrepreneurial and, uh, investing and, uh, partnership career. So, uh, as many, of you know, or if you've ever seen my bio or heard a little bit about my, my story, um, you uh, know that I've been an entrepreneur since I'm 15, meaning uh, like really I had a business at 15 that had employees, although not really according to the you know real payroll when I was 15. But I mean, I had people working for me. I used to deliver flyers door to door working for somebody else. And then I, uh, I stopped in, uh, on the route as I was uh, doing that and got my own accounts. I'd stop in stores and say, hey, you know, if you need flyers delivered, we can do it. And I don't know how, frankly, in hindsight as a 15-year-old kid, these stores um, gave me the accounts, but they did. And um, I had friends working for me and I would uh, ride around on my bicycle and check up to make sure that they were uh, putting the flyers in the, in the doors or the gates. Uh, and, you know, which was usually a job of an older kid who drove, but I didn't have a, a driver's license. Um, and I built a business that in, um, I'll date myself, uh, 1976, 77, 15, 16 years old, uh, 17 years old, I was making like 300 bucks a week, which uh, was a huge amount of money in that day and age for uh, anybody, certainly for a 15-year-old kid. So where does deals come into that? Well, that was actually, uh, you know, I, so I created a nice cash flow business, but then at age 17, I went away to college in 1978. And what I didn't do was a deal, actually, that in hindsight, you know, if I would have known there were such things back then, I could have actually done a deal that I did not take advantage of. And what was that deal? That was, I had clients, I had accounts, and uh, I had sort of a system, and I had some people who, you know, kids who were working for me, and I knew how knew the business. And, you know, that business, theoretically, or those accounts was theoretically sellable. Um, I don't know how much of a market for it was, it was but, but, you know, there's probably some other, uh, you know, uh, enterprising kid or, or older, you know, kid, these crew chiefs who work for these bigger companies, you know, usually in their early 20s. 
I mean, um, I'm not saying I would have gotten a big bucks for it, but it, you know, it's just something as a 15, as actually by the time I left for college, 17 year old, I didn't understand enterprise value. I didn't understand that I had something that was an asset that could be sold there. Um, and didn't realize it until many years later and don't regret it. I obviously, I, I was very happy to have that business as a 15 year old kid, but, um, but it was interesting, uh, you know, in hindsight that there was a, a deal to be made there that I did not make. Um, when I got to college, uh, I was also pretty enterprising and I did a bunch of things. And one of the things that I was able to, one deal I was able to cut was I became in my last two years in college, the, uh, there was a beer distributor named Clear Rose. And Clear Rose um, would, this is in the days when the drinking age in New York was 18. And uh, so pretty much everybody in college could drink. And when I started in 17, uh, they didn't check. Uh, and, um, you know, uh, at, at, at Stony Brook, where I went, there were a lot of parties on campus and uh, they would, uh, Claro's would deliver beer, you know, five kegs, 10 kegs, 15 kegs, 20 kegs, big, you know, college parties, um, which in later years when the drinking age went up after I left there, they, they cracked down on, but uh, it was a different time when I was in school. And um, Claro's needed, um, didn't want to deal with a hundred different kids. So they had two uh, uh, reps on campus, one for each side of the campus. And I was able to negotiate uh, a deal to be their rep, uh, exclusive rep for my half of the campus. So anybody who wanted, I mean, people could drive and go pick up a keg or two, but if anybody wanted kegs delivered, which you needed to have when you were getting 10, 15, 20 kegs, uh, then they had to go through me. Uh, and basically I had a deal with Claire Rose where uh, I had a wholesale price from them. I was essentially like a distributor uh, as a, you know, a, a 19, 20 year old kid, whatever I was. Uh, and, um, and uh, they sold to me at a wholesale price and I got to sell at a retail price to anybody uh, in college who needed kegs. And I actually set that price uh, so I can make whatever profit I want, whatever the market would bear, so to speak. And depending whether you knew me or you didn't know me, and I also got this great beer paraphernalia, like in college when the lights and the signs were all cool and able to have that swag to give out to people. So uh, that was an interesting, uh, you know, distributor arrangement that I had with Claire Rose. Uh, and uh, it was pretty lucrative for me and also uh, got me into every party free. So uh, that was kind of fun. When I graduated um, uh, college, I went to law school. Um, pretty much uh, uh, focused on uh, on law school, uh, and all, and what I really did then was much more um, work during law school um, to get experience at General Foods and then at a law firm. Um, so I didn't really have much going on in the way of deals until I graduated. Shortly after that, um, I uh, had a friend who had a computer company. I had a little uh, equity piece in that. Frankly, that didn't end up going really anywhere. But, you know, I, I sort of, uh, you know, uh, that was my first sort of investment in a, in a side business. Uh, I've done a number of those uh, since, whether it's with clients, contacts, whatever, um, some of which have been very successful. And, you know, a number of those went went nowhere. Um, one of those, um, which was a very interesting case, clients still to this day with a, with another business that he has, we, um, he had a company, uh, I won't speak specifically about it, but he had a company that I, I thought had an interesting model. I worked with him from almost the startup uh, shortly after he started it. We helped him expand nationwide. And um, we had created a vehicle for him uh, because he had given away some equity early to like his uh, uh, tech developers and that kind of stuff. And he didn't want to give away any more equity in the company because um, he had, in hindsight, you know, 
maybe giving away a little too much. Um, and uh, he needed to raise some more money. So we structured a deal for him that um, was what I call the participation interest. He had revenue coming in from real estate uh, firms for a, um, a reporting that he did on schools. And um, and uh, we created a uh, uh, an investment where people could put in money and then uh, get a, a percentage of the revenue from a particular territory that these um, real estate agents were paying. So there was no equity given, but it was a, it was a percentage of revenue that this um, uh, contractual arrangement allowed people to do. So we, I did that for, for, um, for, for clients, not intending to invest, but then he needed, um, he wanted to fill out the investment and needed some more money. And he asked me if I would, uh, I would invest in it. And I, and I, and I chose to, and I told him I would only, you know, that I wouldn't negotiate the deal because I didn't want to be in any conflict of interest situation, but I would just take the terms that any of the other, you know, uh, uh, buyers negotiated or investors negotiated any changes. So whatever they did, I took. And that turned out to be, uh, you know, after some ups and downs uh, and some interesting times and things were tough at some point and looked like, you know, he might not make it. Um, I, you know, always had confidence in him and that business and, and that investment turned out very, very well. And in fact, there was a point at which, that client owed us about eighty thousand dollars in legal fees, and I had two partners at the time, which was another deal. Obviously, to be in a business partnership, I've had a couple of them, um, and uh, you know uh, that business partnership was 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 good for you know a good period of time and got us established. And then at some point, um, our interests diverged. We had different views of our relative values to the company, what we brought. Direction we want to go in, and we and we and we went out separate ways. But um, at that time, I was still in that partnership, and um, we had an opportunity. We uh, the company had some debt, and one of the things I was helping the client do was to have people convert that debt to equity, and uh, because uh, that burden would you know needed to be reduced. And of course, that was you know that was risky. But I I felt that the company had inherent value. Um, it um, had phenomenal data and it was, it was actually moving. This was in the early days of the internet and it was actually moving that data online. And I felt that that database was worth something, even if the company didn't make it as a going concern. And I also thought that it would, you know, uh, continue on in any case and, 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 and had value to be bought. Well, um, I get outvoted. Uh, you know, it was interesting. I had two partners at the time. I had started the firm, but we had added a third partner. And our approach was to, you know, vote by, by majority vote. And uh, those guys didn't know want to convert the equity. And we would have gotten to convert it at a multiple, not dollar for dollar. And it would have turned out, you know, when, when the company did get sold, we did get it sold, um, we would have made three times on that money. That, that 80 would have been 240. Um, uh, I did triple my money on my personal investment, but, um, but uh, the, um, which, which, by the way, also converted to equity. They converted those participation interests to equity. So, um, it, you know, so I tripled that and would have gotten my share of the triple on the 80. But when you're in a partnership, you don't always get to make those decisions. So that was a deal I would have done that I couldn't do um, because I had been outvoted on the on the legal fee por- portion of it. Um, there's a whole other set of deals that, uh, you know, I there was um, I started getting into real estate. And after doing you know some of that work with clients and learning a little bit about it and um you know, I would uh, see some opportunities sometimes and there were, you know, and I, and I made some investments that did well, made some investments that, okay, whatever. Um, but the bigger deal, like the, the deals that really um, 
had huge opportunity, not necessarily because they were huge in size, although some of them were, but also because, um, you know, there was just huge, huge opportunity uh, either to take a property and turn it around or that kind of stuff. The great uh, opportunities, you needed to be able to act quickly. And at that time in my career, in my 20s, um, you know, and well, it was actually really more in my in my 30s, my early 30s, um, you know, I didn't have the kind of capital that uh, where I could personally take advantage of some of these opportunities. And there were a couple of them that I lost uh, that I knew would have been great deals. But, you know, uh, by the time I tried to go raise money, somebody else had come in and snapped them up because they could just write a check. Um, so that triggered... Uh, me to get into a business partnership with a friend uh, where we created some real estate investment funds. Uh, and the theory was that these were going to be, um, you know, discretionary funds, meaning that uh, they weren't uh, deal specific funds. We raised money, put in some of our money, we raised money from other people um, to create a fund that we controlled, meaning my partner and I, the, the investment decisions on, and we had the money available uh, for what came up. And we did some nice deals in that fund. We did some kind of conversions that worked out really well. Um, and then um, we did, uh, we ran into some trouble with it, to be honest, because we had purchased most of the, uh, the stuff like multifamily buildings uh, in um, 2007, late 2006 into 2007. Of course, uh, as most of you will remember, 2008, 2009, uh, Great Recession came, hit the real estate market, you know, very significantly. And here's an interesting point about that. Um, you know, we had actually done everything we told the investors we would do in terms of being able to raise rents in the buildings and that kind of stuff, but ended up in some trouble with the one building specifically because of vacancies because of the economy. And then, you know, uh, some of the other, uh, you know, buildings were sort of limping along. And um, we actually went back to the investors and uh, suggested they double and triple down for two reasons. One, to have enough capital to carry these buildings through the tough times because we knew they would come back. And two, because the same type of buildings that we bought at what were decent prices for the market at the time were now down 20, 30, 40%, close to 40% in, in some cases, and they were bargains. Now, of course, in the recession, everybody's running scares, especially the Great Recession, you know, when Bear Stearns was getting gobbled up and, uh, and um, uh, you know, Lehman went out of business. And, uh, you know, I mean, uh, it was it's natural for people to run afraid. But if you study markets, and I've talked about this before, you know, the people who make the most money are the ones who are, who are smart in the down markets and, and invest when things are cheap. So uh, we went back to our investors and we said, hey, we should be doubling and tripling down here. We, we'll make a killing. And you know what? I'll, we couldn't raise the additional money. So what that caused is us to have to sell uh, a couple of those buildings. One of them was uh, the one that was really in trouble was taken back in foreclosure. Uh, you know, another one we cut a deal on uh, um, uh, and, you know, and then we eventually sold, uh, you know, another one. Um, so. And we ended up getting um, people back a chunk of their money, but not all of it, uh, which at, at some point it looked like we might lose everything. So that was a not a good result overall, but a good result compared to what it, the worst thing would have been. But the truth is, and you know, this is a lesson, uh, if we would have doubled and tripled down, if, if, if people would have been willing to take that risk, 
we would have made a huge killing coming out of the recession because, you know, we tracked those buildings after it and those buildings, you know, sold it, you know, only, uh, you know, if you went five, five years out, you know, let's say 2013 to 15, five, seven years out, uh, you know, those buildings were back up and well beyond what we paid for them. And of course, the buildings, you know, if we would have paid 30% less and bought a few more buildings, as we had suggested, we would have made huge money. But listen, it's, you know, that's the game of deal making. If, if you can't raise the money, you can't make the investments. And people tend to run um, scared when things are tough and uh, they get over exuberant when things are good. And that's the exact opposite of what you should be doing. But it's, you know, it's, it's, it's human nature. Um, so, uh, you know, that, that was, uh, you know, uh, with those deals, like I said, I've been in a couple of law partnerships and, you know, I've, um, I'm, I'm now the back being the sole owner of my firm and, you know, those, listen, partnerships are like marriages. They're, they're not easy. You know, you deal with almost everything you deal with, um, uh, you know, that you deal with in a marriage absent the sex, um, you, you know, you're, you're dealing with money, you're dealing with personalities, you're spending a lot of time together, you're dealing with different vision, um, and alignment. And, um, you know, I don't regret anything, uh, that I've done, um, in terms of being in those, uh, in those partnerships. Although, uh, you know, I've learned a lot from them and I've learned that, um, that it's important for me, uh, not to, you know, to, to be myself and to stand for my values and to stand for the culture that I want in a firm. And, uh, you know, there was one situation where I let that, um, slip. I mean, I was able to sort of protect and defend my people, uh, but overall, uh, there was definitely cultural disconnects uh, and um, uh, vision disconnects and integrity disconnects in my mind. And um, uh, you know, in 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 hindsight, I think everything works out perfectly. But in hindsight, you know, maybe I should have moved out of that a little earlier, recognized it a little earlier. Um, you know, but listen, we learned from that, and and uh, I got some great relationships out of that. Uh, and it's actually, you know, uh, been helpful overall um, to my career. Um, but, um, you know, you, you, you live and you learn. Uh, you know, partnerships can be great when there are, and there were phenomenal synergies in, in a number of these economically, um, but they also need to have this uh, shared vision, shared culture, and the same sort of level of um, integrity um, to, to really work. And, you know, we've had some people on the show talking about uh, that stuff. And, um, you know, so it's interesting for me because um, I'm always looking at uh, at deal opportunities, uh, whether it's any kind of strategic alliances or joint ventures. Uh, I partner, I value, uh, you know, I have a lot of companies that I work with. Um, so, uh, for example, on my on this podcast, right, um, I could have done it all on my own, but I but I partnered um, with a company that does this, uh, you know, Stephen Weston's company, Predictive ROI. Um, uh, I was a guest on his podcast. He has a very successful podcast and he's uh, worked with a number of uh, companies, not only to launch podcasts, but also to uh, create ROI, to create returns for the companies on podcasts. And, uh, you know, my decision was to, was to partner with uh, that company uh, and um, Predictive ROI on my podcast. When I did my book, my authentic negotiating book, I partnered with uh, Advantage Media, who is a turnkey business uh, hybrid business publisher that um, works with uh, the, the whole model is to work with entrepreneurs to help them get books published. Um, you know, I could have I could have self published. I could have gone the other extreme and looked for, uh, you know, a a, um, a deal 
with a uh, with a major publisher, which, by the way, my wife um, has to deal with a major publisher. A little plug. Her book is coming out January 21st, uh, and it is called The Calling. And it is for people who want to find really what they're here for in life and how to make it into a successful business that is true to who they are, that makes them money, and that um, has them make a positive impact in the world. So look out for the calling. In fact, it's um, it's on pre-order uh, now and on Amazon. And I would I would love it as a personal favor of me. I mean, if you if you know me, if you like my content, uh, if I've provided any value to you, um, it would be a big big. Um, um, you know, uh, it would mean a lot to me uh, to support my wife's book. This is a, her, she, see, unlike me, where I did a hybrid business publisher and I had a specific business strategy around it, she has a major publisher book deal. She had several publishers bidding on it, and it's very important that this book do really, really well. Um, and the book is amazing. So uh, that's the deal that she did, and I'd love your support on that. I don't, usually don't pitch a lot on this show for any of my services or whatever, but you know, I, I, I do want to uh, pitch for my wife's so The Calling. It's on Amazon. Please pre-order it. You get, you, if you pre-order it, you get into our insider group and get uh, access to our course. I, I would love that support. And again, so she did that deal, uh, that publishing deal. So my wife, you know, also uh, does deals in her business, uh, you know, which which I'm an advisor on and, you know, and help her with. So, um, you know, where uh, used to be the old commercial where uh, for the, uh, what was it called? The hair club for men or something where the guy used to say, I'm not, I'm not just a uh, owner, but I'm also a client. Um, well, uh, you know, I, I don't just do deals for other people. I don't just preach deals. I do deals uh, myself. Um, I, uh, I love doing deals. I think, uh, uh, partnering with other people, doing strategic alliances, investing. I mean, I haven't talked about the various things I've invested in. Um, you know, we've got, um, a bunch of us, uh, from, uh, EO have a, have a little group together where we put some money together and, and, uh, you know, made one investment, um, into a carbon fiber business and we're going to make some other investments. So there's a number of deals that I'm doing. Uh, on my own, in addition to working with on hundreds of deals for clients, uh, and um, you know, I just I, I just believe in deals as an opportunity. It's uh, uh, you know, so I uh, you know I eat my own cooking, so to speak, and I've you know I've learned a lot uh, from them over the years. Um, I think uh, you know the more deals you do, the more experience you get in vetting deals, the more experience you get in doing due diligence on deals, the more experience you get in figuring out who to partner with. Uh, you know what type of people you work well with, whether it's in a business partnership, strategic alliance, joint venture, anything like that. And um, so, you know, that's that's some of my history. Uh, and, you know, I hope it's been useful to you all. Um, again, you know, I talk all the time about um, organic growth and inorganic growth or what, you know, we're starting to actually talk about as deal driven growth. And you want to do both. Right. You know, organic growth is crucial. If you can't make a sale of your product and service then, you know, you shouldn't be in business. If somebody doesn't want to buy it, uh, subscribe to it, uh, you know, uh, pay for it, however, you know, your model is, then, you know, you, 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 uh, you can't be in business. But if you combine that with, with deals, um, then you have an opportunity to uh, grow more quickly. You learn a lot more about yourself uh, and you can achieve certain objectives that you may not be able to achieve as quickly, as easily, or at all by purely organic growth. And I uh, believe in that model as well. So um, with that, folks, I'd like to thank you, Fueling Deals listeners, for tuning in. Remember, 
there's only one difference between companies that grow inorganically and those that don't. Uh, and it's unrelated to size, amount of capital, or any other factor. Other than that, the owners and executives of companies that do deals make a decision to do deals, and then they take action. Well, it's time to refuel. So until next week, Corey Kupfer signing out. Thank you again for tuning in. Be sure to leave Fueling Deals a rating and review on iTunes and Google. Check out all our episodes at fuelingdeals.com to find out more resources to accelerate your business growth.